so that you can follow along with the words and I think this will help you to stay on point. So everyone up Matthew and above gets one. John Plowman. John Plowman. I enjoyed John Plowman last week and I enjoyed it so much. I'm doing John Plowman tonight. And so the verse we began with is Hebrews 11:4. He being dead yet speaketh and so Mr. Spurgeon was such a writer and such a preacher, a prince of preachers, and every pastor, probably not even Baptists, have his works in their libraries because he is so good and everybody enjoys and benefits from his writings. So from the booklet, John Plowman, Wisdom from John Plowman, this tonight is three parts and the booklet has 23 chapters. So these are three excerpts from three chapters. Religious grumblers, the preacher's appearance, and on good nature and firmness. So three different subjects tonight from Mr. Spurgeon, and then I have notes so that you can fill in the blanks as I give it to you. This will help us pay attention to the 
lot of there's a lot of words up here. So first of all, on religious grumblers, religious grumblers. Number one, there's a blank there. Go ahead and fill it in. He sees, he the grumbler, he sees faults where there are none. And if there be a few things amiss, meaning there are some things not quite up to his liking, and if there be a few things amiss, he makes every mouse, he makes every mouse into an elephant. Can you appreciate the words here? Makes a big deal out of a small thing. He makes every mouse into an elephant. So he makes a big issue out of a small one. This is a religious grumbler. Now, a lot of the complaints that he addresses from people who do complain, it's about preaching and about church. So this is about public services and about people who sit in church and how they find fault with him and with others. Number two, venture to argue with them, the religious grumbler, and their little pots boil over in a quick style. Ask them for reason, and you might as well go to a sand pit for sugar. <laughs> Meaning, it's a waste of time. You're not going to find sugar in a sand pit, and you're not going to have resolution when you argue with a fault finder. So argumentative people are combative people, and they never will back off. They must be right. Number three. A simple statement he gives here, where is the use of always trying to hunt out faults? Where is the use of always trying to hunt out faults? So in the context of what he's writing, it's about people sitting in his church. And believe it or not, there were critics of Mrs. Spurgeon in his great church. It's amazing how, it, probably even if the Apostle Paul is preaching today, people would find fault with him. And so where is the use? What good is it? What good is it to try to hunt out fault? To me, I think of a submarine looking for, from its periscope, ships to sink in the Atlantic Ocean. The German U-boats, they sank the convoys of supplies from England, uh, uh, America to England, and the U-boats did a lot of damage. It was their business to hunt out vessels, cargo ships, sink the ships, destroy the supplies, to help their war effort. And so the underlying fault of the critic, uh, he looks for disagreement, this is just pride, and he compares himself to others uh, who may not understand, uh, or, or who he thinks does not understand what he understands. And so uh, where is the use of always trying to hunt out faults? This is the man, according to Mr. Spurgeon, and in the context of his writing about this statement, is that they are religious grumblers. In the name of God, they are complaining about something. I always think about one illustration that is a long time ago illustration. It's about my father-in-law. He came to the church for the first time. And because he came for the first time to church, he had no idea what the church believed. But he went to go see, grab the Bible. It was a living letters Bible or good news from modern man Bible. And the usher at the time who greeted him, uh, I know them. I know the man who greeted him. He said to my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, and he shook his hand, and then he says, what do you got there in your hand? He was carrying a Bible in his hand, and it was a paperback Bible, and so uh, my father-in-law said, uh, 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 well, it's a Bible. What translation is it? It's the Living Bible. He says, Living Bible? You gotta put that trash in. Here, let me take your friend right over here. And so that's not a real, that's an argumentative person. 
That is really not necessary to make a fight, pick a fight with someone who does not have understanding about the Bible issue. But uh, fault finders, religious grumblers, they do things like that. Number four, there are some blanks to fill in. Number four, fault finding is dreadfully catching. That means it, it picks up steam, it has traction. Fault finding is dreadfully catching. One dog, one dog, you see the dog there? One dog, or dogs, one dog will set a whole kennel howling. That is such a good way of explaining it. One dog will set a whole kennel howling, and the wisest course is to keep out of the way of a man who has the complaint called the grumbles. And of course, you can add to this one influence, iron sharpeneth iron, and you can also add a verse to this one, Psalm 1, 1, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, because the ungodly, or in the, in, to change it, so don't walk with grumblers because you will be grumbling too. And one dog will make a whole kennel of dogs grumble or bark, and it's a howling mess when you hear that. You can't sleep. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Read into that verse a little bit something different. It's about fault finders. You walk with fault finders and you become a fault finder yourself. Walk with religious grumblers and you be a religious grumbler yourself. And that's just the way it is because of the influence that people have on us and you on them. Number five. Number five. What's number five, Mr. John Plowman? Well, number five. The fact is the worst wheel of the cart creaks most. And one fool makes many, and thus many a congregation is set at odds with a good and faithful minister who would have been a lasting blessing to them if they had not chased away, chased away their best friend. Religious grumblers do that, and it kind of builds up, and it kind of grates on the minister who is the church's best friend, and then he just feels very discouraged and very unappreciated, very much like everything he says is wrong. And he feels like when he's preaching or teaching, people in church are criticizing him and finding fault what he's saying. Religious grammars are a real bad thing to have in church. And so three good wheels, one wheel makes a lot of noise and pretty soon the whole wagon seems to be useless or uh, just a good Chinese junk. <laughs> and uh, one fool makes many influence. Well, number six, number six. Religious grumblers, number six. Small is the edge, edge, E-D-G-E. -E. Small is the edge of the wedge. But when the devil handles the beetle, churches, churches are soon split to pieces and men wonder why. Well, Song of Solomon 2.15 says, little foxes spoil the vine. And so little things ruin something that is good. Little foxes ruin the vine, ruin the vineyard. And uh, they're just one small thing, little creature, but they do a lot of damage and they do big, big damage. It's almost like rust. Little rust will ruin a car and a little termite will ruin a dresser drawer. Maybe eat, eat, even break down a house. And so insensitive words can be like that religious uh, grumbler. The edge of a wedge is a 
It's a small thing, but it can do great harm. Romans 14, 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So we don't say, we don't do, we don't act, we don't, we don't, we don't express opinions, feelings uh, at the expense of others. And when we just feel like we have to say something because I just have to say something, we do affect someone else. And it does cause someone else who may not feel the same as you do to also begin become a grumbler too, like you grumbling about something. And pretty soon one is now two, and then two is now three, and then three is now four. And just it just goes like a snowball coming down a hill, just picks a lot of steam, and pretty soon everyone seems to be grumbling about something. And so Mr. Spurgeon says, the edge of the wedge is small, but it does a lot of harm. So number two, on the preacher's appearance. I take offense at this one. On the preacher's appearance, <laughs> he says this, number one, a good horse cannot be a bad color and a really good preacher can wear what he likes. Can wear what he likes. And none will care much about it, but though you cannot know wine by the barrel, interesting, you don't know what uh, the, the wine is like in the barrel because you can't tell from the way the barrel is. And though you cannot know uh, the wine by the barrel, a good, a good appearance is a letter of recommendation, even to a plowman. Now think of what he just said or what he just wrote. You can't tell what's on the inside of a barrel what the wine is like from the outside, but a good appearance is like a letter of recommendation, which is a good thing. You can't tell, we say, the book by its cover, but sometimes you can. But nonetheless, the cover of a book does influence you and gives you an opinion about the content. And so when it comes to preaching, he says, wise men neither fall into love nor take a dislike at first sight at first sight but still the first impression the first impression is always a great thing even with them and as to those weaker brethren who are not wise a good appearance is half the battle what is he saying well People judge you by what you look like, and the first impression that you give is lasting a lasting impression. So be at your best. Um, don't be a slouch. This is about in a pulpit in church. Um, the first sight that people see you and how you appear, it makes an impression on them. Half the battle is won, he says, if you appear to be decent, if you appear to be normal, <laughs> if you appear to be respectful, to the ones that you are standing before because they, there is a common standard that's not wrong. And if you look clean, that's also a good thing. Yeah. If you look like your hair is combed, I saw a man today, I mean, I picked him up actually, he had a beard like down to his belly button almost. I mean, it's big and red, just like. I looked at him and uh, he is, he works on Kaka, <laughs> the guy's a beer master. 
I said, all beer people, we have beer sis, a lot of us do. But it's big and red. I said, how long did it take you to grow? He says, 15 years. I said, itchy? He said, nah, sometimes, but not much. And he had his hair combed back really nice in a ponytail, but his big beard. Really unusual, really nice guy, but uh, very, very proud of his craft and uh, <laughs> 15 years to grow that beard. Now, um, I don't know what people think about beards in general, but there's a lot of men with beards nowadays. And uh, some people have, uh, you know, kind of like a nice clean cut type and others have this big full one like that. Like they I said, you look like a guy from Louisiana. What do you call those guys that used to be very popular in TV sometime, uh, the family with beards? Um, the Duck Dynasty people. I said, look like you're from uh, Alabama or deep Mississippi or somewhere. He said, ah, no, I'm from, I'm from here, I'm part Hawaiian. <laughs> And so uh, now, if that man is in the pulpit, or if someone dressed in a way that causes too much distraction, what he's saying would that be uh, not so good? No, not so good because first impression means something. And uh, he's not talking about how you dress at home or how you uh, dress when you're doing Monday through you know the week things like that. But this is specifically about in the pulpit and how people make impressions or make make opinions about the man because of how he looks. And that's kind of scary because um, everybody has ways of looking at things. And when it comes to preaching, every man has a way of viewing things. And sometimes he has an attitude, well, I am what I am. And I'll dress like I want to dress. And I don't care what people think about me because I want to be true to myself. I'm, be, I'm going to come, come like I want to become, uh, come like I want to show up in church. I want to be real. And so that's one way of looking at things. And then you have, as he would soon say, that people go on the other side of the extreme and become pretty much superficial. Look at number two. Number two. What is a good appearance? Well, it's not being pompous and starchy and making oneself high and mighty. Making oneself high and mighty among the people. For proud, proud looks, proud looks, looks hard. Now, he's also going to the other side where people overdo it. They dress very religiously, and he's really addressing men who dress in robes. He's talking about the, the papacy, the priesthood of Rome. That's what he's really addressing. And I, I cut out a paragraph about that. I don't think it was necessary to put in here, but that is what he's talking about. For proud looks lose hearts, and gentle words win them. Gentle words win them. It's not wearing fine clothes either. For foppish, what a word, foppish. You know what foppish means? Foppish, you have to look it up. Foppish is paying too much attention to your appearance. For foppish dress usually means a foul house within. He's talking about the heart. And the doorstep without fresh white wash. Such dressing tells the world that the outside is the best part of the puppet. Ooh. When a man is proud as a peacock, all strut and show, all strut and show, he needs converting himself before he sets up to preach to others. And so this is the two extremes, being yourself, disregarding what people think about you. And the other one is being so careful about what people think about you, overdoing it, being foppish, overly concerned about uh, your looks, and that both of them are wrong, he's saying. Matthew 23, 28 says, 
Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And so that's what he's saying about the preacher's appearance. Be real, be decent, be respectful, consider your hearers and the viewers and dress appropriately. Number three, number three, the preacher who measures himself by his mirror, <laughs> measures himself by his mirror. I, uh, I look so good today. Oh man, I look so good today. Measures himself by his mirror, may please a few silly girls. And perhaps some men do dress that way to appeal to the silly girls. Uh, nowadays, of course, you have going in the opposite direction of overdressing, uh, overdoing. You have underdressing. You have holes in the jeans. You have uh, very, very tight pants. And you have uh, flop. You have trashy looking clothing in the pulpit. And uh, the, the conduct kind of goes with it. They're kind of loose and their words are, it all goes together. And that's the extreme way today of how people, men dress in church, in the pulpit. Uh, they want to identify with the common people so much so that they, they identify the lowest, the lowest part of society, it seems like, to appeal to them. Forgetting that there are people in church who are decent people and they like to respect the minister in the pulpit. They like to see him dress well as they themselves dress well because they are respectable. They want him to be dressed respectably as well, but he, he appeals to the lowest, the lowest. He appeals to the, the roaches and the termites and the bugs. And so uh, the preacher measures himself by his mirror, may please a few silly girls, but neither God nor man will long put up with him. And number four, away. <laughs> I can see him going away with gold rings, chains, jewelry, why should the pulpit become a goldsmith's shop? That speaks of men today, it seems like. I think about Mr. T. Mr. T, I looked it up, Mr. T. Ah, I couldn't make a picture of him because he's also without a shirt doing stuff like that. He's, he's, he looks like a pharaoh, an Egyptian pharaoh or something. But the guy has so much gold jewelry. And um, yeah, not a good thing in the pulpit to be extravagant like that or to be like a hobo. Or like a bum in church. Both are extremes. Uh, okay. On good nature and fair uh, firmness. Good nature and firmness. The third thing tonight. From Mr. Spurgeon to Mr. Plowman. Uh, good nature and firmness. Number one. Oh. Not be all sugar. Be not all sugar. Or the world will suck you down. But do not be all vinegar. <laughs> what an opposite thing. Vinegar, or the world will spew you out. Don't be so sweet and gentle and passive that people step all over you. At the same time, don't be all sour so that people reject you. There is a median in all things. Only blockheads. What? He said blockheads. Only blockheads go to extremes. Well, what would be a word to express not being extreme on these matters? Sweet, don't be too sweet. Don't be only sweet. Sour, don't be only sour. What would be a word to describe this 
so that you're not extreme. It starts with a B. You have to be sweet. You have to be firm. You can't be either or. Yes. Balance. Balance. Good word. Balance. So not all sugar, not all vinegar. There is a medium in all things. Only block is go to extremes. We need not be all rock, hard, firm, solid, immovable, unbending, unyielding, uncompromising. The word compromise is a good word, and sometimes that is a bad word because some people believe that to be right, you cannot compromise. But you have to compromise when it's not compromised in doctrine, but you have to compromise in a lot of things because you can't be so firm that people are that you reject people because you're so right that they have to be up to that same understanding of truth because they haven't gotten there yet. So you have to have some consideration for that. You can't be all rock or all sand, shifting, um, uh, no backbone spiritually. You can't be either or. We need not be all rock or all sand, all iron or all wax. We should neither fawn upon everybody like silly lapdogs, nor fly at all persons like surly mastiffs. Don't be chasing after people for their approval. Don't be, don't be always uh, like a dog, anxious for food, always begging for someone's uh, approval, thus compromising morality, compromising truth. Blacks and whites go together. Blacks and whites go together to make up a world. And all Mr. Spurgeon is saying to Mr. Plowman uh, is that you have to realize that not everybody's like you and not everyone thinks as you do, not everyone feels like you do, and it's not wrong. It's not wrong. You have to have toleration. You have to be, quote, inclusive. <laughs> Where do you draw the line, though? Well, very simply, you you have people today who say you must include me in your circle of friends, but that person is, quote, immoral, that person is uh, not a good influence on you and others, and you don't have to, you don't have to be their friend, you don't have to come much to be like them. That's not what he's saying. He's just simply saying, you can't expect everything to be white, and you can't expect everything to be black. If all black, and I don't mean black people, but if all black, if all black want everything black, well, that's not good to have everything black. And if all white wants everything white, well, that's not good either. The Gethsemane Quartet sang a song years ago. I, I, I keep referring to songs that they sing or songs. I can't remember the lyrics sometimes, but uh, life can't be all sunshine or the flowers would dry. The rivers would be valleys, all barren and dry, something like that. Life can't be all sunshine or there'll be you no know, something like that. And it can't be all rain either. So you gotta have rain, you gotta have sunshine. <laughs> you gotta have storms, you gotta have good weather. You gotta have all these things. That's life, and that's what he is saying. You can't have everything your way and neither should everybody be like everybody else. Differences are not always bad. It's not always sinful and it should not be despised. That's my words. And uh, you can't change everybody to your liking. And that's my words too. Ecclesiastes chapter three says, there's a type of everything under the heaven. And that would include the thinking that 
there is diversity in a good way where you must have it in life to have life. Um, my wife made bread. It was really good. And I made tuna. I make good tuna. I add onions. I made round I onions and I add uh, celery and I add cayenne pepper and did the salt. And here's how I did the cayenne pepper. And I mix it up because my wife cannot eat hot stuff, so I don't want I don't want her to eat my tuna, so I had cayenne pepper in it. So it's all for me. And it's really good. And uh, but I can't eat that every day. I need something else. I need to have some variety. Life is variety. God made life a, a life of variety. So some days you eat tuna with bread, some days you eat tuna with onions with rice, some days you eat tuna with eggs. My wife, my wife likes to make tuna with eggs. That's white man style. She makes tuna with eggs and she likes that because that, and, and, and relish. I tolerate it. I like it. I like mine better. And then I like to eat beef. I like to eat pork. Um, I like to eat cereal. I like to drink milk. I like to have ice with my milk. I like to have iced coffee. I like to have hot coffee. And that's kind of like life. Variety is good. It's, I like red. I like black. I like green. I like brown. I like jeans. I like blue jeans. I like I like canvas pants. I like t-shirts. I like collared shirts. I like dress shirts. I like a tie once every decade. Um, I like um, to sit. I like to stand. I don't like to walk. I like white cars. I like black cars. I like donuts. I like Krispy Kreme. Same for donuts. I like pancit. That's like, and he is saying uh, about good nature and firmness when it comes to people, you have to just not get so hyper about differences. You have to not be so agitated because someone's different from us. Number two, number two, a man must have a backbone, <laughs> or how is he to hold his head up? Oh, very true. <laughs> But that backbone must bend. That backbone must bend or he will knock his brow against the beam. He can't bend down to avoid the beam or he can bend to get below a doorway, things like that. There's a time to do as others wish and a time to refuse. Now, he's getting into the area of uh, you can't be a yes man to everybody. You have to say no sometimes. There's a time to do as others wish and a time to refuse. If we make ourselves asses, then everybody will ride us. But if we would be respected, we must be our own masters and not let others saddle us as they think fit. Very good, very good words. Wise man speaking here, Mr. Plowman. And so, you, you can't be, Paul said, I become all things to all men, but I don't think he meant to be run around like a rabbit, all of the creation, doing everything for everybody else, and not having time for himself and for his family. Don't be a doormat, in other words. Number three, he that maketh himself a sheep will find that the wolves are not all dead. Simply put, 
you you let yourself get walked all over, then people are gonna walk all over you and you'll be taken advantage of and pretty soon you have no life of your own because you're so busy running around doing things for everybody else because um, they will take advantage of that. If you don't have money to lend to someone, you can't lend them money. But if you never say no, if you do have money, then you'll always be having people borrow money from you. And they'll accuse you of being uncaring if you don't loan them money. Because you have to be firm and say no sometimes to things because otherwise it's gonna drain you, it's gonna hurt you. And uh, a good example of not saying no would be our good brother, Brother Bobby. Brother Bobby has got a heart bigger than his body, which is a big heart. <laughs> And Brother Bobby is just a real kind soul. He really is. And uh, he's kind to a fault. That's one of his, one of the things about good people is that they're so good, they're so generous, they're so kind-hearted that they have a hard time saying no. And uh, to tell you a story, not to, just to illustrate a point and not to make him look bad because this is not the intent. And I will preface what I'm gonna tell you by saying that Brother Bobby, uh, uh, has got the kindness out of any man that you would ever meet and um, he literally would give you the shirt off of his big back if he had a shirt to give you off of his back but anyway people come over to his house and they, and they always want to stay over overnight and, stay, and it turns into two nights turns into three nights because he has a real hard time because of his big heart to tell someone you gotta go you, you, you can't stay here anymore but he has a real difficult time saying no that's the kind of good man that Brother Spurgeon talks about because he just wants people to have some sense of balance about them and uh, be old, big, big hearted, but then there's a limit to that too. You cannot accommodate everybody. So people come up to his house, they stay for a week, and then uh, he's in jeopardy of losing his place because the, the housing will have someone saying, hey, uh, somebody stayed at Mr. Kamala's house and they're not supposed to be there, and it is true. And so he has to protect himself by saying no. By saying no and so uh, hopefully I did not make you think bad about him because that was not my intent and uh, he listens to so Bobby no offense intended okay just to make an illustration I know you don't mind and so you have to say no sometimes you cannot say yes all the time number four number four along that line he says he who lies on the ground must expect to be trodden on. <laughs> what a jolly good fellow you will be called if you'll make yourself a hack for your friends. And what a mess will be, uh, will they soon bring you into because they'll take advantage of your kindness. Number five, the way to avoid great faults is to beware of small ones small ones. Therefore, pull up in time if you would not be dragged into the ditch by your friend. Better offend, better offend your acquaintance than to lose your character and hazard your soul. Never mind being called a turncoat when you turn from bad courses. Better to turn in time than to burn in eternity. Good advice. Don't be prideful and say, well, I made 
a promise, I'm going to have to keep it. Herod was like that. He made a bad promise, a bad vow, and he kept it. Dumb belt stuff. He headed. Number six, with children, you must mix. You must mix gentleness with firmness. They must not always have their own way, but they must not always be thwarted. Give to a pig <laughs> when it grunts, and to a child when it cries, and you will have a fine pig and a spoiled child. So all of this is about balance. All this is about having sense to say yes and know when to say no. John Palmen, good advice. Religious grumblers, the preacher's appearance, and good nature and firmness. It's amazing how his words are so timely and so current. All right, there's three more next week. All right, any questions? Okay, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that we can glean from another man. And we pray that you help us to be wise too in our time, in our day. And help us, Lord, to uh, have balance about our living and our thinking. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.